This is The Dish Pig, where we go on a journey of discovery about all things food and booze. I'm your host, Nick Sherry. A big shout out to all the folks in Melbourne, Australia at the moment. They've gone back into a COVID lockdown. Hang in there, guys. Just remember, it'll all be over soon. Failure is not an option. Gene Kranz said this, most famously portrayed by Ed Harris in the 1995 smash hit Apollo 13. You know who else said that? Sandra Foti from Piccolina Gelateria. And that's who we sat down with this week. Now, I forgot to ask Sandra one very important question. So the first person to let me know what that missed question was will receive a free bag of firewood from our friends at firewood.com.au. Terms and conditions do apply because I have yet to inform them that they'll be sponsoring this prize. But anyway, you can email your answer at ask at dishpigpodcast.com or send a message on Instagram at the underscore dish underscore pig. So let's get into this week's chat. This is Piccolina. Uh, welcome. Thank you for thank you for being here and, and having a chat. We're obviously here at, at Piccolina HQ in your office here with the mood lighting. It's very uh very dramatic. It is. Where I you like are working? Where, I don't like working um, with fluoro lighting. Mm. I like just I like it to nice be as and, natural as possible. Nice and calm. Exactly. Nice and calm. Now I usually I usually kick things off by by asking um, our, our guests what was the last thing that they cooked for themselves. So it can't, obviously it can, cannot be ice cream gelato related. It's got to be separate from that. Okay. What did I cook last night? Ah, yes, I remember. I cooked a rack of lamb. Lovely. With um, a green salad and I was going to cook the rice but I had – a bit of a catastrophe with our dog and he ripped his dog bed apart and the water boiled over and the rice oh, didn't no. work and we just had sliced bread with butter <laughs> on the side. Was so, Do you think the dog was a bit upset that he or she wasn't getting the, some of the lamb rack? Or No, I just think we have a, a nine-month-old Border Collie puppy oh, lovely, and yeah. I don't know what was going on last night. Everything was fine and then like witching hour with yeah. kids. He just went crazy. Still, still sounds like a a, love, a lovely dinner. You know, you, you know, bit of bit of bit of lamb, bit of salad, and just some sliced bread. My my, my dad would love that yeah. dinner. He's he's obsessed impressed. with bread and butter. So yeah, well, bread and butter. Add butter to anything, and yeah. you're fine. And you're you're winning. Yeah, but usually it would be like pasta. Uh-huh. Pasta's the go-to. Yeah, I'm good at pasta or or like lasagna. Anything with layers, mm-hmm. tiramisu, stuff like that. All all the good stuff. Yeah. But last night it was lamb. Beautiful. Yeah. Now, when we're talking about gelato, um, I haven't met a single person that doesn't like gelato or doesn't like ice cream. My wife claims to know one person. She can't remember exactly who it is, but I'm like, I'm convinced that person doesn't exist. Yeah. I've come across people that, you know, they could be out at a restaurant and, you know, like they, they, they might not be a sweet tooth. Oh, I'm not going to have an order any dessert tonight. I'm, I'm fine. That's that's one thing, but I don't think I've ever met someone that will have a taste of some gelato and be like, you know what, that tastes like shit. I I hate it. I'm I'm not going back for more. Do you know anyone that is like nut nah, just can't do it? Um, 
I don't know anyone who just can't do it, but I know a lot of our customers have said to me, you've ruined gelato for us for good because right. we now just cannot eat anything else anything other else. than picolina. Well, there you because go. Because we know how good it can be and now nothing else matches up. So <laughs> we don't want to waste the calories. It's either picolina or nothing. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Do you do you remember what, what would be one of your first memories as a kid when it comes to gelati, gelato, yeah. like sorbets, like, you know, t- take us back to when it all started. When it all started. So my strongest memory um, growing up would have to be of my dad preparing and making gelato for the family at Christmas and Easter and special birthdays and he would be up till two or three in the morning mm-hmm. making litres of gelato, which would then be consumed the next day within 15 minutes, yeah. literally. So that would be my earliest memory. How did, how did, I mean, how did he himself, you know, get into it? I mean, is this like, it, does this go back, you know, from, you know, relatives immigrating from other countries? Like, you yeah. know, where, where, where did it all stem from? Uh, well, dad, like many... Italian immigrants came to this country, mm-hmm. you know, years ago and, you know, they came with absolutely nothing but they had a, a lot of beautiful heritage, the Italian heritage that they brought with them um, to this country and it was all based around food and family and um, those sorts of traditions. So I think my parents and my dad brought with him and my grandparents a lot of that um, love of food and family and so... Uh, I think while he didn't make gelato um, professionally, mm-hmm. he learnt the skill and then always just sort of had it in his repertoire of things that he would kind of pull out of his hat and create. He was a really creative person um, and, yeah, he just used to love making gelato <laughs> and he always used to say he was in the building industry and construction and he always used to say, look, if there's a recession... I know how to make gelato. I can open a gelateria. So he's a true entrepreneur and he had a number of businesses. Mm. I can remember from when we were little. Um, and so starting a business was not kind of foreign to us. It was, you know. It's just kind just of ingrained in the up. family. Yeah, yeah we just grew up seeing, seeing my parents, my mum and my dad, just start lots of businesses. So yeah. my sisters and I would just start a business and it wasn't a big deal and um yeah so although I had never grown up thinking I'll open a gelateria it just I guess it was something that I grew up with and I always had in the back of my mind dad saying oh well you know like if if you know if there is a recession gelato's recession proof that was his that's yeah. what he used to say and he used to say you know you, you might not be able to go out for a fancy meal but you can take your family out to get a gelato and you can spend $30 and everybody's really happy because gelato makes people really happy and it, it does. It's probably one of those family-friendly things in, in, in a recession, right, because it's not, you know, it's not alcohol, it's not gambling, it's, yeah. you know, it's gelato. It's Absolutely. Very, very PG. Yeah, for sure. And But even, I mean, what we've done with our concept um, and with the brand is sort of got a background in design and I love creating beautiful spaces. Mm -hmm. And so the Gelateria, the business, is an opportunity to um, explore 
different design um, mediums and different ways of doing things, different ways of approaching a gelateria. So mm-hmm. for me, it's about um, creating a whole experience for the customer. It's not just about coming and getting a scoop of ice cream in a cup or a cone. It's about how you feel when you're within that space. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just it's we have groups of people coming in after dinner, um, you know, coming in sort of it's almost like f- f- Friday night. That's like a bar on yeah, a yeah. Friday night here or a Saturday. Like we crank up the music and um, people just sort of extend their night. They might sit for 20, 30 minutes at the bar and just have a have their gelato with friends. So Perfect. it's good to have created a space like that. Yeah. So you so you so so you grew up around it i mean it was always like you like you said like you know, your dad's cranking out the homemade stuff at christmas and was it just at the holidays like christmas and easter or was he you know maybe on a sunday afternoon or during the week anything like that or was it no. more special occasions yeah it was special occasions and the semi-commercial gelato machine i was about to ask what what yeah. machine was he was he using yeah so he found a machine in italy and that was brought out it wasn't like a like a little you know, something you get at a department store. It was actually a proper right, yeah, yeah. commercial um, gelato machine and he would bring that out. But it was such a heavy, heavy piece of equipment and the process was so labour-intensive. And that's – so when when I decided to open the gelateria, it was based on the concept of what we'd eaten growing up at home. Mm-hmm. So um, – yeah, it, I remember thinking I can't, I can't get a gelato anywhere in Melbourne or Australia for that matter that I've – or even in Italy, I couldn't find anything that tasted like what we would have at home. And there's a real difference between something you make at home and something you buy that's mass-produced. Yeah. And so the concept was to create something that we – like what we had at home. And to do that, it's really labour-intensive – So I remember Dad making this really labour-intensive gelato just at Christmas and Easter and for special occasions in summer Yeah, because it took such a long time. Each flavour was balanced and and each ingredient was prepared so nothing was purchased. Nuts were roasted or caramels were made. Yeah, everything from scratch. Everything from scratch and that was the concept. How do I take what we have at home – and explode that up onto a bigger scale. And I, I thought that people might be able to taste the difference, mm-hmm. and I, but I wasn't sure whether they would care or not. And so when I opened the store in, in Hawthorne, it was really about testing the concept. So I would have all my friends and family who, you know, they'd get a little 500 mil, maybe like a little little container that dad made that was sort of few extras and mm-hmm. they were very coveted and if you came over and you know you were given one to take home you knew that it was special <laughs> you're in <laughs> yeah you're in <laughs> but you know you've got to appreciate that little tub because that took a long time to make um and people would eat it friends would say oh my god this is amazing oh my god your dad's rum and raisin or your dad's you know zabayone or your dad's whatever, hazelnut, is just so incredible. We've never tasted anything like this. And so I knew that we were onto something, but I 
I wondered whether they were just sort of being polite, like they're our friends, <laughs> you know, like. Always hard to tell. Like, are you, are you really being serious? <laughs> and then, yeah, so we opened up the, the store in Hawthorne with the concept of making everything from scratch. And, yeah, as I said, I thought people would, t- would be able to tell the difference. I hoped that they would care mm-hmm. and they really did. They, they really did and it just took off. Yeah. And people would make comments, like I said before, like you've ruined gelato for good, now <laughs> I can't. You've ruined everything. <laughs> yeah, you've ruined everything. I can't go and get, you know, what I thought was good because now I actually know how good it can be. Well, I think, I mean, I've got I've got complete and utter full respect for you, you know, you know, for you, of course, but for your father having, you know, going from, you know, Everything, everything made from scratch at home. Because one of my one of my COVID hobbies last year was I did purchase an ice cream maker, like one of these big things from Italy. It's like yeah. seventy pounds. My wife almost murdered me because of how much it costs, and I was like, "Trust me, trust me, it's it's all going to pay off." And I wouldn't say that I've you know ruined all kinds of frozen desserts for her, but after after you know churning out a couple of batches of some basic flavors using you know good quality ingredients, yeah. all from you know all from scratch. Even it just it, it instantly pushes you away from all, all the mass produced yep. crap in supermarkets. Like you, you can you instantly tell a difference right there. So um, I, I, I've been told to put the ice cream machine away though because we both started adding a few pounds. But know. Um, you know, in, in, in moderation, in moderation. Well, if you're gonna use up the calories, you may as well use them with a really good quality product. Yeah, like good chocolate or good. You can't. You don't want to waste it on exactly junk. Yeah. So I mean. If you're going to put it on, you may as well put it on with, with something good. Yeah. Um, so, so then when you so so when you kind of you know left school and because because you, you're a graphic designer, well your background is in graphic design. Yep. Yep. So you go off to university, that like you're studying all of that, and mm-hmm. you you enter the like the working world. Was at what stage did you kind of realize that oh you know what like I'm going to make a bit of a a bit of a shift here and and move away from that? Um, well, so I studied graphic design and I went into the industry and I was working in the design industry for a number of years and um, I decided to break away and open my own design studio, mm-hmm. which I did. And um, I had a really great um, clientele. I had a f- you know, couple of people working in the studio and that was fantastic. And my sister had recently opened Hub Furniture. Okay. And she had this gorgeous showroom on Exhibition Street. And she was like anyone in a new business, you kind of do everything yourself. So she was on the floor and running the whole thing and didn't really have many people working with her. So she was often alone. And I remember passing by once um, to say hello. And she's like, oh, oh, you've stopped in to, you know, spend the afternoon with me. And I was like, oh. Yeah, I was really just ducking in to go to the toilet, but now <laughs> I feel really bad. So why don't I just set up my laptop and work here with you? <laughs> and it just kind of went from there and I moved the studio across to Hub and mm-hmm. took them on as a, a, a client okay. and yep. um, sort of did that in exchange for sort of having a bit of a space there. So that worked out really well and I got to be with my sister and be around everything she was working on, really amazing dynamic business, just all about design. So that Mm. was um, a really fun time. And just as I um, 
the more that I was there, I was just kind of absorbed into that business and really became passionate about Hub and what um, my sister was doing and I just wanted to support her more okay. fully. Yeah. And so I gave up the graphic design, stayed on doing that with her, you know, a bit for Hub, but also just kind of um, just started to work at Hub in a bigger capacity in a full-time capacity. Yeah. And that's where I um, kind of found a real passion for sales and um, and all the product that we used to sort of um, work on there and all the designers we used to work with, the international designers, the furniture, architects, interior designers. Like it was just incredible. Like we were exposed to the best of the best in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, overseas trips to Milan, the furniture fairs, meeting Perfect. everybody over there. It was just an awesome time. And so we would bring all of that back and go and talk to all the architects and designers about it. We did incredible fit-outs all over Melbourne, Sydney, Queensland, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I ended up managing the um, sales team in Melbourne and Sydney for a number of years and then... Um, stopped. I had kids that kind of, I sort of kept up doing a bit of hub and and a bit of the kids and kind of juggling all of that. And then one day I was just like, you know what? I just feel like I've got to do something of my own, Mm -hmm. something different. I just want to sink my teeth into something myself and prove to myself that I can do it. Because it's one thing supporting somebody else um but at the end of the day until you've got everything on the line it's just not the same yeah and i wanted to know whether i could do it and so i sort of spent a couple of weeks months whatever it was really searching for what i wanted to do and um yeah just i don't know a light but i had a light bulb moment and i just went oh Gelateria. It's really controllable. I yep. knew what I wanted. Like there's, you know, X number of flavours. I'll execute them really well. They won't change. And that's what I'm going to do. And with your, you know, when when you came to that decision, you know, with the exception of, you know, the family history and growing up, you know, around your dad making um, making gelato and that, and that sort of thing, was had, had you had any kind of, training at all in you know manufacturing something like this like was it so nothing zero zero i'd never even stepped into a kitchen i'd never waitressed Mm -hmm. or worked in hospitality at all and i just was like oh yeah i think i can do this i get business i understand (laughs) brand yeah i think i've got an idea about design and Mm -hmm. i know what great gelato is i've got really high standards when it comes to um you know food and and quality Mm -hmm. in everything that we do in in every facet so why is food or gelato different yeah um it's just about applying those really high standards to whatever you do that's Mm -hmm. that's what i that's how i see business it's not about whether i know how to make food or gelato it's just it's about the business side of it and having certain standards that you don't compromise on yeah 
And so you've made the decision. So the, so the light bulb goes off. Yeah. You have got no training in how to make gelato. What do you do next? So I, I decided that's what I'm going to do. I'm opening a gelateria. And then I thought, well, how about I have a look around Melbourne and see who, who's out there, who's doing what. I had never heard of any of the, the people out there doing gelato at the time. I sort of did a bit of a have a look around. Yep, okay, great. They're doing what they're doing and I think I've got a different concept. So mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a good thing. Um, right, where do I want to open the gelateria? Okay, yep, this is where I think I want to open it. Sign the lease. You're in the deep end, you're in hot water, <laughs> you got to sink or swim. So then I was like, right, I think I better take myself overseas. I'm going to do a bit of research first, find out who is making gelato in the way that I want to make it and just call a million times yeah. till the person that I found who I thought was good would take my call and basically beg to go and work with him in his gelateria over summer for a couple of weeks yeah. to kind of learn what I needed to learn because doing, you know, making gelato at home one litre at a time is, is a although that was the concept of how we wanted the flavours to be, um, that's totally different to doing something on a huge scale. So I had to, I had to find out whether or not you know, not whether or not. I mean, I had the lease already, but I just had to work out how to make it happen wow, on yeah. a big scale. So I went over there, spent a couple of weeks there, um, refined the recipes. You know, kind of bettered that down. Um, where where whereabouts were you? Where, so where where um, was your like crash course like apprenticeship? Yeah, I, so that was in Tuscany. Okay, so that was pretty special. Sounds terrible. <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah, over summer, mm. and but actually, you know what? I would get there to the gelateria at four a.m. Oh wow! I would help. Kind of like being a baker. Everything. Just, yeah. Yep, everything would scrub down. Everything. Just I was completely hands on, and then. I would start scooping ice cream mm-hmm. at whatever time we'd start scooping and I would stay till one or two in the morning because that's what happens in Jeez. summer in Italy. And then I would have like two or three hours sleep and get up and do it all again because I wanted to know absolutely every facet of the business so that I could – because that was – yeah, that was – I had two weeks to figure it out. So It's I not long. That. No, not long, but, you know, I'm a quick study, <laughs> yeah. so I did that. And then when I was there, I ordered the pozzetti. I had a big decision to make. Do I go pozzetti or do I go, um, you know, display cabinet? I was going to say, so that's where, so the pozzetti it's called, right? That's where yeah. you have the lid and yes. the tubs in there that Correct. the lid comes off and then the other ones, it's more exposed in the cabinet, right? The, yeah, that's right. And so six years ago, it, the pozzetti, I mean, even in Italy, nobody was really using pozzetti and it was like oh god you know every is it is it a, it's a risk going with the pozzetti you know i think people need to see the gelato mm-hmm. that's the you know you grew up seeing the gelato so to cover it up was a risk um but i think the decision i mean i was already leaning toward the pozzetti because with the design background that i have anything on display is not 
that attractive. It wasn't going to fit in with the the look and feel. Look, wasn't yeah. right. So you know, for me, it's not function over form. It's form over function. <laughs> like I will hide a light switch yeah. behind a corner, underneath a table, around the back, if it means that I don't have to have that light switch exposed. Like I'll make life difficult for myself. But it's about the wall looking beautiful. Yeah. Not about how easy it is to get to the switch. And but but so, it, it, it but it also. I think I read something about these not too long ago where it, it controls – does it control the temperature of the gelato in a better way as well, which actually gives yeah. you a better a better scoop or, you know, like – Yeah, so, I mean, the, the thing is is that when you're making a product the way that we make it, which is completely from scratch, completely natural, without, you know, emulsifiers, et cetera – the best way to store a gelato like that is in a pozzetti. Mm-hmm. So you can make something that's mass-produced and put it into a pozzetti and it's not going to make it better. But, right, okay. But, yeah, yeah. you know, if I put my product, which is quite delicate, in a, in a display cabinet, it's just not the right way to store the kind of gelato that we make. And so that, that formed part of the decision. It was how it looked, but it was also the best thing for my product. Right. So, yeah, so when I was there, we ordered the Pozzetti, we ordered the machinery, I ordered, I don't know, everything I needed or that I thought I needed and there we go. I placed the order and put it on a shipment. I had lots of contacts with freight forwarders through Hub and all that, put it on a container. I think I asked my sister if I could just (laughs) sneak some ice cream machinery onto a container. (laughs) You know, did that. It landed. In the meantime, I, you know... Spoke to Hecker Guthrie, who we're good friends with. Paul I was going to, yeah, I've, I've read a bit about them actually. Yeah, they're incredible, and I, you know, known them for years through Hub, and just thought their work was fantastic, and I was dying to work with them, and I just rang them, and I'm like, I've, I've got a lease, and um, you know, and I've got the machinery, and I've got this, and we start paying rent in three months, and I want you to design something, and can you just can we make it happen? Can we can we go for it? What do you think? And they're like, oh, God. Hamish just laughed. <laughs> and um, and he's like, yeah, sure, let's do it. <laughs> and uh, we did it. And then literally within six months of making the decision that that's what I was going to do, we'd open the store. Six months? Yeah. In fact, I think it was less, May. Yeah, six months. I, I remember in May, it was wow. around May... Yeah, May, June, 20, I decided. 2015? And then I opened the store in Hawthorne in December 2015. Wow. Yeah. That is like lightning fast. Yeah, but you've just you've got to make a decision. You can't pr- procrastinate. Yeah. If you've got an idea, go for it. And like, you think, was that, was that the influence of your parents, do you think, in the background totally, there? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, completely. My dad, that's just how he was. He wouldn't, he'd just make a, he'd come up with an idea and the next day it would happen. He'd make it happen. He'd had five businesses going at once. Well, I mean, what was, I mean, in the back of your mind, were you like, like, what if this just, what if this doesn't work? What if? No. It, it, it was ne- going to work. Ne- never, it? never yeah. crossed your mind. It's like, there was no, like, plan B, nothing no. like that. It was just. No. There's no plan B. Yeah. You just – you make a decision and you have to make it work. You, there's no room for failure. Just 
that's not an option. I love it. You don't fail. You <laughs> make it work. Yeah? Like you have to make it work. <laughs> Failure is just not an option. You just you make a decision. Obviously, you know, you think about it, you know, you get that. I don't know. I can't describe. People have said to me, how did you know that that was the right thing? I don't know. It just resonated for mm. me and with me and I... I guess you never know, right? But it's just... Yeah. And look, at the end of the day, I thought, look, what's the worst that can happen? Okay, I lose my my bank guarantee for the lease. Okay, I lose that. Um, you know, I've spent X on the fit out. Well, I lose that. I've got some machinery. I'll sell that. Mm-hmm. And... Well, and what? Then what? At least I've tried. But, you know, if you're going to try and do something, you want to make it work. Now, who wants to fail? No one. No one, really. And how were those those first, you know, like the first few weeks when you, once you opened the doors? Mad. Mad. I didn't know how to scoop an ice cream, really. Yeah. I mean, I was knee deep. It went from zero to a hundred just so quickly. And I had no employees. I was making the ice cream, doing the books, cleaning, serving, ordering. It was mad. Yeah. I had no idea what I was. I was in the deep end big time. And I was just like, I remember that first summer, I was just churning and as it was coming out, it didn't even ha- I didn't even have time. Like, I didn't even have time to set. I was just scooping it. Oh, wow, as just I straight was, out. Like, it was coming out and I was putting it into the Pozzetti. By that stage, I had one person. And I was just, like, we were just scooping and serving as I was making it. Like, <laughs> it was overwhelming. It was, it was wow. full on. Yeah. How do you think, I mean, starting a new business like that, you know, was there certain strategies in place to, you know, to to kind of garnish a clientele straight away? Like, or was it, was it, or was it purely organic? You know, h- how did you kind of get word out that, you know, this, this is going to be something different. Yeah. It's, it's a, you know, cause there's, there's no shortage of, you know, gelato stores in Melbourne, right? Now there's, there's no shortage. Well, but yeah, well, back then so it back wasn't then, as there weren't, okay. yeah, I think there weren't really as many and there weren't there. I don't think there was anyone really, Doing what we were doing. It was, it was a lot of all the same. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And I think now there have been a lot of new players coming into the market. Um, it's great. I feel like we've contributed to the gelato landscape of <laughs> Melbourne because the quality, I think, has lifted since mm. we came on the scene and that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, but back to that question of did I – what, what was the question? Did I um in, in preparing to open? Yeah, like you know, you know, you, you've obviously ticked all the right boxes in terms of like you know, you you have connections with you know with yourself with design yeah. and setting up everything in in the right way and mm-hmm. and you know, everything's there. It, it looks great. And then in order to you know, how do you tell people? Yeah, you know, getting word out in the street. Yeah. Were, were you as strategic about that as you were with? you know, the concept from start to finish in terms of the design and product? and um, I just think that when you, when you want to – when you have really high standards and whatever you output is of a really high quality, I think that just – people are just drawn to it. And so 
it's not like I did any advertising or anything like that. It just the fit out looked fantastic. Mm. The concept looked fantastic. I was there. Everybody was tasting it. It was just it was just word of mouth. It just kind of gained momentum. But it's because it was of a high quality from day one. Yeah. Nothing was compromised and nothing has been compromised since. I mean, even the new stores that I mean, we've progressed massively since the first store the first store was really just a test like is anyone going to care is anyone can anyone taste the difference Mm -hmm. will will this be a success i mean i you know there is no plan b like i was saying and failure is not an option but i I didn't know really how well it was going to do i knew that i was going to really work hard to make sure it was a success but there are some things that are out of your control um but yeah, we've, if you look at any of the beautiful fit-outs that we've done, like there's no expense spared. And that that's not because I say, oh, well, we need to spend X amount of dollars on a fit-out or we need to spend X amount of dollars on an ingredient or whatever it is. It's just something that I personally, I can't stomach not, not, um, not doing. Mm. Like I just... When you know good design and you know the difference between a fake and a co- and and a, the real thing, and you know the history behind that light and who designed it, and and you probably have met that person, yeah, you can't buy the copy, and it's the same with product. The product, like I can buy, we've got a stracciatella. We make the chocolate shards that go into the stracciatella, which is like an Italian version of a choc chip. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have suppliers come to us and they give me a bottle and they're like, well, use this. It's just, it's cheaper, it's quicker. Yeah. And I look at it and I don't understand what the ingredients are. And I'm like, well, I can't in all consciousness say to to you, our product is 100% natural, knowing that I put that on top. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's something I won't compromise on, even though that bottle is quicker, cheaper, (laughs) easier to, to get my hands on takes time away from, you know, the kitchen. I can save costs, etc. I just can't. I'd rather not use it. I'd rather not have that product. It's like a handbag. A, yeah. You know, I don't want a copy. I, <laughs> even if it looks the same, I know it's a copy. You know it's... <laughs> like I don't want the copy. <laughs> if I can't afford the real thing, then I'll buy what I can afford, but yeah. it's not going to be a copy. How did you? I mean, what what was that process like? I mean, you know, you 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 did like you know, your two week stint in Italy, and you come back, and you you know you 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 know you you hit the ground running. But I mean, it it must it must take a while to kind of make these connections with um, your suppliers and and the and the right ingredients that you're looking for. Talk talk me through how that you know how those relationships you know were started and developed, yeah. and and you know were you testing a lot of stuff? Was it yeah. You know, it, it must have been. It was just millions and of calls, hundreds yeah. and hundreds of calls around the clock, phone mm-hmm. calls, conversations. Yeah, just it doesn't. Nothing's easy with when you're starting a new business. Yeah, and it's not, you know, ten hours. It's like an eighty-hour week. It's not like a, you know, normal nine-to-five job. It's just you're on all the time. Mm-hmm. Um. And I just, yeah, I mean, for me, I just kept, I just kept making calls. I kept searching. I had no um, background in it, so everything was was new. So I was making new contacts from scratch. I didn't have any contacts, and 
it probably took longer, but um, that's part of the challenge, I guess. Mm-hmm. But once, I mean, so once you, I mean, for example, like if you're, I mean, how did you decide on what what milk or eggs or, you know, these very, you know, the, the, the staple ingredients that you're using every day was, was that a, was that a, you know, very meticulous kind of like, okay, we're, we're going to line up five different, you know, brands of eggs here or, you know, from five different suppliers. Yeah. And was there testing involved in terms of like how each of those, you know, resulted in the final in yeah. the final product? Yeah. So um, we, well, I wanted to make sure that everything was as local as it possibly could okay. be. Okay, yeah. So um, we use, you know, locally sourced milk and cream and sugar and, um, you know, eggs and fruit, seasonal fruits, mm-hmm. um, things like that, um, you know, peanut butter, you know, peanuts. And you're the only thing that we use Australian hazelnuts and um, pistachio as much as we can. But again, nuts are like a fruit, so they're seasonal. So there's a bit of variance in where they come from yep. so that we can have that product right through the year. But, yeah, we started off by wanting to source locally as much as possible and then it was about the ingredients, so making sure that the milk didn't have anything in it other than that it was just a natural product. The yeah. same with the cream. Like, you know, we don't use cream with thickener in it or all things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, we had to do a lot of research. I had to do a lot of call, making a lot of calls and making sure that I read the labels and understood what was in in things like the cream yeah, or the yogurt or whatever the ingredient was that we were using. But everything was made from – everything is made from scratch. So caramels and – it's just sugar and, I mean, it's it's not like I was buying – I was just buying raw ingredients. Mm. So you can't really go wrong. And, I mean, I'm sure everyone's, you know, probably thinking that the most favourite part about starting a business like this is – the flavors and and coming up with your flavors and you know what what are the staples and what are the you know anything that's rotating because I mean you have like your core like your I don't know what what you call them but you know the the core ones yeah, um, yeah. but you've also done quite a few collaborations as well right yeah we have so we've got when when I was creating the menu at the beginning it was about the concept was traditional Italian gelato to stand the test of time and gelato that's been around for 100 years and it'll be around for another 100 years mm-hmm. and and the time and effort that we put into the to the um, raw ingredients, that is special enough. I don't need to add anything to it um, to make it more special or to make it quirkier or different it's special because of how we treat the product so you know pistachio is just that's it yeah. here it is <laughs> you, you know you can taste it you can taste that it's the way that it's made the nuts that you know the, the saltiness the homemade quality you know uh, the same with all of our flavors so that was really easy um those flavors, those core flavors, and they just don't change. They haven't changed for six, coming on to six years. Yeah, they're still exactly the same. And then we can have fun with the other flavors. Um, and yeah, you're right. We've done lots of collaborations. Um, one of the latest ones was the Eight Chefs in Eight Weeks. Oh, okay. Um, the yep. Gelato Project. 
<laughs> called it Series One, and um, it's just fun. We I started the idea of that came because um, through lockdown, um, when there was that five k rule uh, where yep. you couldn't travel outside of five kilometers, and I was getting really sick of everything you could order on Uber. I was kind of over it, and I um, rang my friend Scott Pickett who just bought long grain and mm-hmm. I said, you know, no one in Hawthorne can get long grain and there's this 5K rule and, you know, this was kind of just before all the deliveries were happening through. So like right before like the, the, the kind of the big Provador thing yeah, tick, uh, you know, kicked off and take-home boxes. I think that was just starting and yeah. I said to him, we need to bring that to Hawthorne. What do you think if, if we make up a banquet and – you design the three gelato flavours and so they get the banquet and a litre of piccolina and everyone loves long grain and everyone loves piccolina. So, you know, we thought, oh, that could be really cool. And he's like, yep, absolutely, let's do it. But let's not just do it from Hawthorne, let's do it from all of our venues yeah. and give people an opportunity to, to access it given that we've got between us lots of venues. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just do it. And I'm like, okay, great, let's do it. And But what was really interesting about that project was the way that Scott as a chef um, approached a gelato flavour and it was just each flavour packed such a punch and it was each flavour was so intense and incredible and it tasted like you know Thai food but in an ice cream it just it it just matched it just matched the menu incredibly well yeah completely completely and from that, I thought, oh, I, I need to work with more chefs, not pastry chefs, but um, chefs from restaurants because mm-hmm. I want to see what they, how they approach gelato because they see it differently to me or to, you know, a pastry chef. Yeah. Who, so, and that's, and I thought, oh, I, I think I can, uh, I think this is a great idea. I might just approach some incredible chefs and see what they say. And so that's how that project was born. Eight chefs in eight weeks. They took over the specials. They produced three flavours, whatever they wanted, and we brought that to the customer. And it just was huge. It It was really fun. And we did a lot of unique flavours, things we would never have done before. Um, It was great. What what was one of the craziest flavours that was... Oh, it was it was just was they were all really unique, but I think um, Dave Verhul's uh, porcini gelato, oh, wow. porcini mushroom with just this incredible um, apple sauce with um, like a, a topping that had thyme and um, chocolate, and it was really phenomenal. Yeah, uh, but it was it was about um, their concept in. A scoop of gelato, and and each each chef that their gelato tasted like their restaurant, like what you would have at their restaurant. <laughs> it was incredible. It was pretty special, and it was a lot of work. Our chefs, our kitchen team of of um, pastry chefs, just were so dedicated to the concept. They wanted to, you know, represent the chefs really well because it's a responsibility to take on of course yeah their, they, they need to trust us that we're going to execute their um product really well um so they they yeah they put a lot of faith in us and our team really believe in piccolina and and what we're doing and 
everyone we surround ourselves with or that I surround myself with understands that really high quality of what we're trying to achieve and mm. that there's no compromise with the product. There just can't be. And because it, 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 it seems like it's one of those, you know, I mean, that whole idea you're saying just, just sprung out of, you know, the situation that everyone was in with the COVID lockdown and um, um, and because, you know, a, a lot of businesses have obviously struggled immensely because of it. And this is one of the one of the fortunate things that that has happened, and even because even you opened up more venues even last year, right? Yeah, yeah, I know that was that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> I look back and think, what were we thinking? Um, well, the thing is, it wasn't just on a whim that we said, "Oh, we're just going to open new venues." This this has been in the planning from day one. Right. My aim, and I used to tell people, I want to open five gelaterias in five years. And I would tell people, this is what I want to do. Because when you put yourself on the line and you tell people, then you kind of have to... It's out there. Yeah, it's people out there. know. Yeah, people know and it's <laughs> sort of like, well, I need to... I've put my goal out there and now I need to follow through. So um, I... Don't shy away from telling people, but and but then I, it, you know, it's a fear of not doing what I say I'm going to do pushes me to make sure that I do it and achieve it. Set, setting yourself those goals, so, um, but within reason, you can't be silly and just just sort of, you know, so I, I said I'm going to do this and then just sort of do it if it's not the right thing. You know, mm-hmm. you need to be, think about what you're doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd I'd been looking in the areas that we've you know, we've opened the new stores in for a number of years. You know, I had Swan Street, Richmond in Cause, my cause, mind. Because how many, how many in total years? now? Six. So six in total. So, six so, in total. so you, you hit the five in five. Well, it was 20, six in five. Oh, so you, so you beat it? Yeah, I beat it. I was like, yes. <laughs> hey, I'm so not the, competitive. <laughs> so if, if you've done six in five, so then what, what, what does the next five years hold for the business do you think what's what what's that what's that next goal the next goal um i i think this year is just really about consolidating mm-hmm. making sure that we deliver in you know in many many facets of the business now it's gone from just a little thing to it's you know it's it's always been serious but you know now we've got a lot of responsibilities a lot of people who rely on us and you know we need to make sure that um, the infrastructure is there and that we, we can we're really strong so that we can go to the next the next level and the next stage. Yeah. So yeah. Question about when you know, when it comes to expanding a business such as this, and I've seen other I mean I've I've definitely seen um, places in the States do this and I'm sure you know people are doing it here as well, but you know th- there there might be this desire to to get into like the um, the the retail kind of space in terms of having something in the frozen, frozen, uh, you know, frozen section in a supermarket. Yeah. But because you know you, you do the takeaway tubs here, which people can take home. How does that actually change? That you know, if that was something that you know you even wanted to do, does that actually change the way that you have to make the product if it's going to be sitting in a freezer on a shelf yeah. for you know it months. could be weeks, months. Does that just it, – it just changes the concept completely? Definitely. Um, the gelato, the way we make it, the idea of it is that it is produced 
every day in small batches and it's consumed within 12 to 24 hours. Yeah. That's gelato. That's the idea of gelato. When you've got something like ice cream, that's the diff one you know that's one of the differences between yeah. gelato and ice cream. Ice cream is mass produced and it can often sit in a in a supermarket cabinet for between 6 to 12 to 18 months some right. expiry dates on ice cream can mm-hmm. be so when you start to mass produce something it's sort of not really true to the to the concept of what our gelateria is about yeah so that's not a direction that you would yeah would we even are considering course. yeah yeah it doesn't resonate with the product and what we're about and we would have to change the direction of what we're yeah. doing completely. Yeah. So I've, I've been speaking to a lot of people about, you know, how they deal with um, criticism when it comes to, you know, their, their restaurant or bar or, or you know, or, or their product. But, I mean, have you come across, you know, situations where you've had to deal with that and, and how's, that, how's that been managed on your side? Uh, well, I think... It's funny because with Instagram and all these different sort of review apps and Google and all that sort of stuff, everybody's a critic. Yeah. And you can't please everybody. You, you just can't. I mean, I, I, I don't care if there are, you know, if there are 100 people in the room and 99 say that what I'm doing is fabulous, mm-hmm. I... I'm like, that's great, but I want to hear from the one person in the room who doesn't think it's fabulous and I want to drill them on <laughs> why and how and try, Shake and them figure down. Out, yeah, try and figure out what I can do better to improve. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's great being praised and hearing how wonderful everything is, but, you know, I want to know where we can do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just even with personal you know, criticism against yourself or um, – you know, whether it's the product or the way we do things or, you know, as a leader or a manager, you know, you, you've got to turn the mirror on yourself and say, well, okay, I heard that piece of criticism and that was kind of hard to hear, but is there truth to it and what can I do to improve? I mean, it's interesting you say like, you know, being being critical about yourself because there must be are there situations where, you know, you're trying to come up with, with, with new flavours and you're speaking to your staff and, you know, you're bouncing ideas and you're testing things and something's just not working? Does does that happen where it's like, look, we can't crack this one. We're just, you know, we're just going to have to shelve it, move on, try something else? Um, no, not, not so much. I think um, we've got a really collaborative group of people and mm-hmm. I think they the, the team we have understand the concept and... You know, sometimes, you know, something's put put forward that is maybe a little bit quirky or it's got lots of toppings or colourings or this or that and we kind of always go, yeah, it's it's great and it's, you know, tastes fabulous and it looks good and it's fun, but is it is it true to what we're about? Is, it a tr- is that really traditional? Is that really what Pickle In is all about? And if we kind of assess it critically... And if the answer is no to, you know, four out of five questions, then it just doesn't make it onto the menu. Yeah. So everybody's really 
I think everybody really understands the concept. And as we've gone on over time, um, it's it's really cemented in my mind what we're about and what, what we put out there. And then when we do these fun collabs with chefs and, and other people, that's when we can showcase a different side of what we can do, what we're capable of. Um, and that's when we can have a bit of fun. But when it's about what we're outputting, it's really true to the concept. Yeah. And um, just touching back on the on the lockdown period of last year, because you know we were talking about how you you, you have managed to open up new um, new venues during during that period, but when you know when things first started to shut down, was was there a was there an element because you know you, your dad was always said like it's 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 recession proof, but you know is it pandemic proof? Was there a moment there where you're like, oh shit, you know? Yes. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> there were plenty of moments. Um, from day one where I'm like, oh, Jesus, like what what is what have I gotten myself into? But the, the deeper in, you know, the deeper in it I am, the better I perform, I think. Like when my back's up against the wall, that's if – if I'm not under pressure, if I'm not in the deep end, I don't know, I'm, I, I look to put myself in the deep end yeah. somehow. Like, a, yeah, um, I thrive on pressure – and but yeah there were definitely times when I was thinking oh my god you know is is this the right thing should we continue on and I had um a really good conversation with my dad who was very very sick at the time Mm. um and and I I would sit down and speak with him about business and and I said to him you know, I'm really, really scared. What am I going to do? Should we try and get out of these leases that we've signed? Should we push forward? What do you think we should do? Or what do you think I should do? And he said, when everybody else is scared, that's when you need to be brave. And I just was like... Wise oh. words. I still get shivers when, yeah. I ever, when I think about that conversation. So it was one of the last conversations I had with him. Okay. And, um, yeah, it, I've drawn on that because it is scary and everybody has fears, but it's what you do with fear, you know. So you have to take the fear and um, and I think use the fear to motivate you like you you can't be um what's the word you can't be um taken over by fear Mm -hmm. fear can destroy you yeah it can paralyze you but you've got to use the fear to motivate you and to take you to the next level like the fear of failure what i was saying before failure is not an option it's not that i'm not scared of it the fear of failure pushes me not to fail. Yeah. So, you know, I put it out there. I want to do five in five years and then I'm scared of not fulfilling what I've put out there because I don't want to fail. So using that fear to drive you. That's That sounds like almost the perfect note to, to finish on, but I do need to touch on something first. I know I was having this debate with my brother-in-law not too long ago and it's about giving out samples at yes. gelato stores. Sure. Now, you, you don't do them, right? Or you do? We did them until 
COVID, the whole COVID situation. Oh, so it was COVID that stopped doing it. Got it. Yes, but we're going to reintroduce it because I think taste okay. tests are really good. It's just because I mean I I agree to a, to like I don't think if anyone's there getting six like yeah. tastings, it's like okay that, that that's well, a bit some much. People get ten and then go, you know what? I'll get the vanilla. And I'm like, <laughs> but hang on a minute, what are you talking about? Well, my, my, my brother-in-law was saying it's like, no, it's like no tastings. You like it, it's it's what the whole experience is about. You go in, you back yourself, you yeah. choose your flavor. If you want to try something different, just you, you just cop it. If you don't like yeah. it, it's it's you know, it's not that much of a commitment. <laughs> I mean, I agree with him, <laughs> and it's quite funny. I, I always find it amusing that the flavors that people want to taste, mm. and they always go back to the, what they wanted in the beginning. Yeah, and, yeah. That, and that's okay too. But I think, um, and five years ago or six years ago, the pistachio was our worst selling flavor. Oh, well, not even our worst. I mean, people just didn't order it. They just didn't know what good pistachio could taste like. And so I was like, try this, try this. Mm. It's incredible. Try it. And it's now our best seller. But we went through an education process with our customers to, I wanted them to try what we had to offer because yeah, it was unique. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I encourage taste testing and it's been sad that we haven't been able to do it, but now now I feel like we can. So we'll That's reintroduce good. it. Excellent. Good to know. Um, well, thank you so much for your time. It's been uh, it's been incredible to learn more about the, the Piccolina story. Thank you. And, and yourself and, and what it's all become. And yeah, so I'm so I guess, you know, in five years time we'll have five more five more uh, venues to to choose from maybe yeah hopefully we'll see what happens but yeah it's been fun talking to you excellent thanks for your time thanks as well. sandra cheers thanks. see ya